Episode 33, Trick or Treat. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's going to be a no treat. No needed even for that one. Yes. Full of, yes. Full of trickery. And treatery. Maybe. Treatery. That's not, I don't think that's a thing. Treatery? Yeah, we can make it a thing. It's like the, isn't there, there's like, well, you've worked in malls, aren't there stores in the malls with that kind of thing? There's like the, uh, what am I thinking of? There's like the pretzelry. Oh, yeah, yeah, know. yeah. The, like things that Ro- have that kind of Were you about to say rotisserie? No, I wasn't going to say rotisserie. There's actually a name of it that. The creamery, the slicery, the creamery, the slicery is from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Okay, well, see, there There you go. go. So the treatery. But hey, Nightmarikans, I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is our podcast where we talk about stuff and things. And I'm joined by spooky stuff, I guess, and true crime things. Joined by my co-host, Brett. What's happening out the window? It's raining out my window, and I'm I'm in Key West right now for a stretch for a bit of time, doing some spooky research on a project down here, and I'm also looking at a lot of palm trees outside of my window, and a lot of pouring rain. So who knows? This might be a dark and spooky. Dark and stormy podcast mm. for people. I also would like a dark and stormy if I can put it in order. Yes. Send it to me from Key West. Well, you could also make your own dark and stormy. <sighs> you just need some dark rum, Gosling's probably, or Myers. Actually, I like Myers dark rum. I know you're particular and about the ginger beer. I'm particular about the rums and the ginger beer. As far as ginger beer. I will happily say, if you guys out there can get your hands on Q drinks, they're yeah, great they mixers. Are great mixers. They, do, they do not sponsor our show, like Manscaped, which we're going to get into. <laughs> but they Q drinks are great. Yeah. Great ginger. It's like a good kind of spicy ginger without too much sugar or sweetness. Yeah. And also good for a Moscow mule. So, and fresh lime juice. You know, sometimes I guess you got to buy the bottled lime juice, but really get the fresh lime juice because it really makes a difference in your drinks. So now I want to darken right? stormy. And this is cocktail hour with Nightmarica. Right. So, except it's only lunchtime as we're recording yeah. this, but we could have we could a drinking drink. lunch. We could also so, have some Halloween not? candy. We could also talk about that uh we're going to be getting into trick-or-treating but first the news what's happening give me a headline before you even get into the story give me the headline tee it up what's your news of the weird trick or treating candy shoots could help save halloween okay well that's going to be your your story that's my (laughs) well no okay i gotta back up i gotta back up before but okay well, it's because I started searching for news relevant to the topic, yeah, and then it would. <laughs> then you started doing it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, lay it on me. What's? Let's hear the. Uh, I'll read mine, and the then you'll story. read yours. Yours is going to be written better because that's your profession. But okay. um, the CDC is saying to avoid trick or treating, but Liam Ford from Chicago has to be one of our Nightmaricans because he has come up with a way to save Halloween. He bought a three-inch wide PVC pipe for about 15 bucks connected to his front porch stairwell, fed it through like a plastic pumpkin so the candy has something fun to shoot out of, 
and he's ready for a festive uh, social distancing Halloween. Yeah, it'd be even better if it was like a pneumatic tube or whatever, like the old bank teller tube, <gasps> and it would really like yeah. like launch it. Well, you don't want to be launching candy at children. That's frowned upon. Or at adults. <laughs> Especially not hard candy, like grandma yeah, candy. Yeah, Jolly that Ranchers. Stuff will, it'll give you a concussion. See, I guess, yeah, Jolly Ranchers would count, but I don't view Jolly Ranchers as grandma candy. No, I would say those like A&W root beer hard candies. That's always what my grandma had. I liked those. They're so I good. Would, I would say Werther's original. That's very grandma. As far as, or or just that, that some I don't think my grandparents, but I would be over at some grandparents' houses where they would have just the open jar, like a little glass, yes, maybe crystal bowl. And instead of individually wrapped, it was just a lump of candy yes. put in there. I'm thinking like they looked like glass pieces and, and tasted like glass pieces, but they would kind of congeal together in a way. So it became one uniform chunk of yes. candy. So my Grammy, who I love dearly, and I hope never hears me talk about this. Erica, my sister, don't share this with Graham, but she will place candy dishes out everywhere in her house and fills them with M&Ms or just like loose, whatever. And if by the end of the holiday, we have not eaten them, she will put it in a Ziploc bag and box it away. And next year, bring out the exact same M&Ms in the festive holiday colors. How do you know it's the exact same? Have you marked any of them to no, like track it? but my grandma is where I get my cheapness from. So I can promise you, Lady is not buying new candy every year. We found Pop-Tarts from, like, the year Pop-Tart was invented in her closet, so. To be fair, I think that stuff has so much preservatives in it, it's probably fine. But I do think that you should take an old page out of the true crime podcasting book and (laughs) mark some of these candies and ensure that they are indeed the the same candy when they arrive the following year and then you confront her and you put her under an interrogation light (laughs) and you make her crack and commit to her crime graham will make you crack break her nothing will break that woman she is like will she make me crack because she's gonna hit me with that lump of candy that is probably so she's like half your height but she'll take you out i believe it (laughs) I don't, I, I am not, I would not leave out just candy in jars because one, I have dogs, Mm. but two, I've got a, I've got a bug thing. Like I freaked out about bugs. So I would not be leaving food around because who knows what kind of bugs or critters you're going to be attracted. Well, especially in New York, roaches. Hello. Well, New York, Florida, it's like a, the two main places I've lived. Yeah. I've lived in a couple places, but the two main places I've lived are just the mecca of attracting giant roaches. But let's stop talking about that because it makes me squeamish. Instead, I'll tell you my news story. I Well, my backup news story because sometimes I just I see you coming you can go uh, first a mile away. No, it's okay. But... This is fun. Reese's. Oh, the best. Is sent. They they are really good, and they are maybe considered the best. Yes. I'm holding it right, right here for for those that are not seeing the that video because this isn't a video. <laughs> this is an audio medium, so Britt is holding up a piece of candy. Somehow assuming that everyone out there can hear instead of they just hear the rustling of candy and wondering why the audio quality. <laughs> Is so terrible. <laughs> she brought visual I aids did. to an audio I medium. Did. Anyhow, well, look, you'll you'll like this because Reese's is sending out trick or treat doors full of free candy for a socially distant Halloween treat. Now, what does that mean? That what does that mean? I'm I'm in particular looking at Delish.com's version of this article, but what Reese's is doing. And let me just say, as much as I do love the peanut butter cups, I think I like Reese's pieces even more. Okay. Or 
as I would call them after ET, Reese's Pieces. Mm -hmm. I don't know, instead of pieces. But what they are doing is sending out these robotic trick-or-treat doors that will hand out candy, and it'll roam around your neighborhood via remote control, and it will fire off plumes of smoke and have lights and sound effects. Mm. And then when it arrives at your doorstep, all you have to do is say trick or treat and you'll get some king size Whoa. Reese's peanut butter cups Whoa. through this 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 little retractable mail slot in the door. Oh so my God. sounds pretty awesome. It also seems like something that could go horribly yeah. awry if it gains sentience or instead of like dispensing candy, it decides to suck a child into the mail slot or runs a child over or, or it does seem like the setup for a horror movie as well. But Hey Reese's, you can send us some candy and send it to my door and totally come to the upper West side. And if you do, I would say that you should visit at Reese's on Instagram, tell them where the hashtag Reese's door should come, and they just might do a drive-by, poor phrasing, on Halloween night, <laughs> a candy drive-by. So, oh, that's genius. I love Reese's. Reese's? Reese's? I think it's Reese's. Reese's? We'll talk about this on the Patreon for sure. Berenstein versus Berenstain. Oh, it's um, a real mandala effect. But... Anyhow, so there you go. Thanks, Reese's. Thanks for your robotic door that hopefully will not come to life and rampage through <laughs> neighborhoods. But, you know, it was, what's the likelihood of that happening? Anyhow, so our topic, we are going to kind of do things a little bit differently this week. We're going to talk about Halloween and the history of Halloween and do an overview of trick-or-treating and then Britt is going to wrap things up. I'm going to start this week and then Britt's going to wrap things up with her own story that ties into all that. So I think I think it'll be a fun switch up. It'll be like a treat that yeah but we're or maybe or it's a trick, trick if they dislike it. So anyhow before we Get into turning tricks or giving away treats. <laughs> are you going to turn tricks? Well, we're, we are turning tricks because we're swapping, switching out the order. So we are yeah. actually turning the trick here. But isn't the phrase turning tricks sex work? Yes, it is. Yeah, I so. was just going to leave it as like a little pun. But if you really want to. You, you know, know me. I like to pimp you out. out. Right. This might get us. Some more ads. So, yeah, hit know, me up in know. the DMs, ladies. I got a cell phone number. Yes. But before we get to that, how about a word from Manscaped, the Nightmarica sponsor? Nightmarica is brought to you by Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have one of its fiercest fans, Mr. Lawrence Talbot, an actual werewolf from London. Right, love. Cheers for having me on, although I prefer lycanthrope. The whole WW word is a bit unseemly. Although, I should also note I have been an American citizen for a while now. Ah, so that would explain that almost indistinguishable British accent. Anyhow, Larry, I'm surprised you're in wolf form even though there's not a full moon out. Yes, right. Well, I used to view my condition as a bit of a curse, what with all the hair everywhere. But with the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 and its durable skin-safe ceramic blade, which has small teeth, unlike myself, I can be quite the dapper wolf with my crown jewels, if you will, remaining secure. Now I actually prefer to stay in wolf form permanently. Pardon me for saying so, but you have a lot of hair. It must take you forever to groom. Most certainly. It takes quite a bit of time. Thankfully, the lawnmower 3.0 holds a 90-minute charge, so I have all the time in the world. And with the built-in LED light, I can even see on a moonless night as I as I trim my, my dolly bits, my undercarriage, my John Thomas. Right, right, we get it. Wolfman's got nards. 
And with Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0's waterproof technology, you can even clean up in the moors on a rainy English or American night. It's perfectly splendid, isn't it? And speaking of moors, I still do enjoy taking a bite out of the occasional backpacker. But with the Crop Preserver Bowl deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Spray toner, any passers-by that comes close will only smell the aroma of the freshest dangly bits. But don't take our word for it, or even that of a gentleman lycanthrope. Because with the code NIGHTMERICA, you can get 20% off a Manscaped order and receive free shipping. Head to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA, and you can check out their anti-chafing boxer briefs, weed whacker nose hair trimmer, and crop cleanser hair and body wash, all from... Wolf Manscaped. No, only from Manscaped. Manscaped, the right tools for the job. And we are back. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to be talking about brief history of Halloween and and... You know, even though this is Nightmarica, this is one of those things that we have to kind of peel back the layers and go to another country first off. So let's talk a little bit about the Celtic holiday of Samhain. And mm. also, if you're just going to pronounce it as it looks like it's spelled, it's Samhain. Ah, wait, can you say how you correctly say it again? Samhain. Samhain. Yeah, sort of like if you're going to spell it phonetically, it'd be S-A-H-W-I-N. Oh, okay, Sahwin. Okay. So, or Sam Hing. Anyhow, it's a harvest festival. And, you know, we were talking about harvest festivals in the Patreon. And Sahwin is a harvest festival, end of the new year, end of the harvest season. And it also marked a time when the fabric between this world and the next was especially thin, and souls could come on home. And the living and the dead could interact during this time. And this Celtic Celtic celebration was also celebrating the dying sun god. So it was the end of the new year, end of the year, beginning of a new year. Now, some of the things they would do during Samhain would be the slaughtering of animals. And when they would slaughter these animals, they would wear the hides of these animals, which was sort of like an early idea of a costume. This wasn't, this wasn't a, a necessarily a bad thing for spirits to pop on down or pop on up. But there could be evil spirits that could arrive during Samhain. So some of the things I would do would be light giant bonfires to welcome good spirits and ward off the bad ones. And in Scotland, they might march around property carrying torches. And it emerged that it could be a good idea to disguise yourself if you had to go out at night because then the evil spirits might not recognize you. And during this time, some of these spirits would possess the bodies of animals. So during Sawin, as it evolved, it might be considered a good idea to leave out food to keep them happy or to leave out some treats. Anyhow, some time passes and who shows up but the Romans. And the Romans would co-opt Samhain and kind of combine it with some of their own harvest festivals and then the Roman Catholic Church came along and they would co-opt some of those Samhain traditions as well and in fact about a century there's a thing called All Saints Day if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. that and that originally began in March they used to be placed in March but after about a century of it being held in March it was moved to this autumn season. So All Saints Day was moved to November 1st, right? And actually, in 601 AD, Pope Gregory I would actually suggested to his missionaries and to priests and everybody that maybe they could convert some locals, some natives, to Catholicism by repurposing some of those native people's festivals so hey we got kind of our own halloween going on over here our own saw 
except it's called All Saints Day, which hmm. is kind of like a, you know, sort of like pulling the, the rug out from under you. Yeah. Or maybe like a bait and switch kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, so this notion of good spirits coming back didn't really mesh so well with Christianity because the idea was if you are a good soul and you die, well, you're not coming back. So Christianity really leaned heavily into the evil connotations. And from there, there was the tradition of people leaving out drinks and food to buy off the demons and the evil spirits that were roaming around the earth. So this caught on, and people started dressing up as scary things. And this was called a souling. Have you ever heard wassail or a wassailing? Yeah. Yeah, sort yeah. of similar to that. Okay. So people would go a souling. And Here that we meant. Go. Well, while sailing. Isn't that a song yes. for Christmas? Okay. Yes, that is You're it. You're welcome. You could say, Here we go, a souling. And I won't sing it because I would be assailing everyone's ears with <laughs> my voice if I try to sing. <laughs> Anyhow, we would go a souling, house to house, and what you would get would be these soul cakes. And mm. they might be in the shape of a cross, but they are sort of these sweeter treats that would have currants in them and also have sort of a, a spicy kind of flavor like cinnamon. Ooh, delish. Another thing would be mumming. And you've probably heard that word before. Not mummy, but mumming. And that was sort of Halloween-esque. And the notion of that was dressing up as fairies, witches. So you could kind of see how these things start really coming together. There's a couple different types of festivals that start merging together. And in the 1800s, we start hearing about Mischief Night. Mm -hmm. And this was typically November 4th in Yorkshire, England. Sort of like The Purge, if you, if you watch The Purge movies. So kids could go out and get away with all sorts of mischief. And, and that was allowed. Now, that was November 4th. So they kind of pulled that back. And again, these traditions mesh even more. Again, this is all overview. There's also this thing, if you over here in the U.S., there were these guys called the Fantastics. And who they were were these Revolutionary War veterans. And they would parade about town wearing Continental Soldier clothing or rags or whatever and they would masquerade and stir up mischief and try to get treats and everything and this actually happened around thanksgiving time but oh and and back then thanksgiving was more of a party instead of just a gathering and a, a dinner mm -hmm. with with relatives where you don't bring up politics it yeah. was more of a, a big party so around the 1840s, we have this notion of Halloween start to gel, and it was brought over by these Irish immigrants and the Gaelic and Celts. And, and also, it, it's kind of interesting because pumpkins start to come into play around this time. Over in, in the British Isles, the Samhain and the traditions associated with that involved turnips, not so much pumpkins. Hmm. And, and there's a whole cool story in folklore about this guy named Stingy Jack or Jack, yeah, the, or Jack the Lantern or Jack Lantern. Mm. But instead he of... He was a, a stingy man? Well, the whole story with Stingy Jack was, yes, he was a stingy man. He was not known to be a nice guy. He basically was in a pub with the devil, and he convinces the devil to turn himself into a coin, and in exchange, he'll give the devil his soul. So he took the coin, bought a drink. Oh, he was supposed to buy a drink with that coin, but instead, he put the coin in his pocket next to a cross, so then that kept the devil trapped. And over time, the devil was like, dude, if you let me out, I won't take your soul. So he agreed to it. And then some time passed. And, they, and then Jack encountered the devil again. And this time, Jack convinced him. He's like, dude, okay, no, for reals this time, I'll sell you my soul. But 
First, I want you to climb up this tree and grab me an apple. And the devil, apparently a very gullible devil, climbs up the tree. Jack carves a cross in the tree, and the devil is trapped in the tree. Well, time passes again, and eventually the devil escapes, and then then Stingy Jack dies. He goes to heaven, and St. Peter at the pearly gates says... Stingy Jack, you are so stingy. You didn't live a good life. You cannot come into heaven. So he kicks him down into hell. And the devil says, well, I did make a promise that I wasn't going to collect your soul. So sorry, you can't come into hell either. Oh, shoot. Stingy Jack wonders what's going to happen now. He turns into a pumpkin. Well, no, he doesn't turn into a pumpkin. But... Basically, the devil sends him off with a turnip to wander about the earth and a hol- and oh no, he gives him a candle that will help him navigate his way through this afterlife. And Stingy Jack, for some reason, always kept a hollowed out turnip with him, and he puts hmm. the candle in the turnip. And so, anyhow, Stingy Jack then became known as Jack Lantern or Jack the Lantern, roaming the earth. And so anyhow, once once the Irish immigrants came over to the U.S., turnips weren't as widely available. Pumpkins were around, so we get jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkins. That's, that's a bit of a sidetrack, but that's a quick story of Stingy Jack. But, so, where was I? Now I've lost my, my place because of that. Oh, and one thing I should also say is there used to be these things called soul parades also, which sounds fun. Yeah, and it sounds fun. It used to be when the poor would parade about asking for food or alms, money, in exchange alms for in exchange for prayers for the dead. So give me some money and I'll pray for the dead. Kids got into the act and then they would get soul cakes in exchange for the prayers for the dead. You can actually still look up recipes for soul cakes. Yeah, kind of like They're kind of like snickerdoodles. Delish. Okay, so let's bring it back to the U.S. Around the 1840s, we've got the Irish immigrants, we've got the idea of pumpkins, we've got the sort of Halloween emerging. But by 1900, Halloween existed, but it was not really all about candy. It wasn't a big candy holiday because you might get toys you might get change you might get fruit black who wants that not me there were other holidays tied to candies and christmas was one and i want you to take a stab at the other one easter easter would be good there's another one saint patrick's day no washington's birth no washington's birthday Washington's what? birthday was a big holiday or a big candy holiday. Like we're talking what was about the candy. Uh, there was marzipan with some of the candy ah. that was handed out, and some some cherry thing I think. But oh yeah, because yeah. he cut down the cherry tree. Durr. Yeah, except he didn't really. But Washington's birthday was a big candy holiday, and so yeah, that was that was what was happening in 1900. And around 1920s and 1930s, the mischief really was being frowned upon. And people who celebrated Halloween, they might have opted for classy parties with homemade candies. But we still weren't at the point of trick-or-treating. That didn't really come in until around 1920. And in fact, it wasn't even called trick-or-treating initially. There's... The October 19th, 1920 issue of the Ladies' Home Journal that talks about these kids coming up to the door. They were dressed as Charlie Chaplin or a gingerbread man, and they would chant, nuts, nuts, we want nuts, instead of trick-or-treating or trick-or-treat. That's terrible. I kind of like, nuts, nuts, we want nuts. In fact, Who wants Brit, nuts? I think, okay, Britt does not want nuts. but <laughs> The only nuts I want are the inside filling of a Reese's Cup. This would be a great way to segue into a Manscaped, <laughs> Manscaped ad. <laughs> <laughs>
But the phrase trick-or-treat didn't really show up until the 1920s, and there's some discussion about where it comes from, but some of the early citations, if not the first citations, come from Canada, from Alberta and Saskatchewan. And the early U.S. citations are more from Oregon, Washington, Montana, and Michigan. Montana. Montana. I love Montana. And there's the leader newspaper out of Saskatchewan. I think this is the first quoted, first in print reference to it on November 2nd, 1923. Quote, Halloween, meaning Halloween, but they have an apostrophe in there, passed <laughs> off very quietly, very quietly here. Treats, not tricks, were the order of the evening. And then a year later in 1924 in Alberta, the Red Deer, Red Deer, Alberta, the advocate newspaper did use the word, the phrase trick or treat or treat or trick, actually. And Mm. then by 1926, treats or tricks was printed in the leader newspaper in Saskatchewan. And that was December 11th, 1926. So you could see sort of the evolution of the phrase. So thanks, Canada, for yeah, thanks for our neighbors to the giving north. us trick or treat. Also, it can't ignore the fact that in Mexico, children would get treats in a similar way as trick or treating, and they would get these uh, calaverita, calaveritas or little skulls, and the children. <gasps> would ask for, you know, can you give me my little skull? So it'd normally be made of sugar or chocolate uh, during Dia de los Muertos. So post-World War II, the really it seems like we've sort of gelled into the idea of trick-or-treating. And by the 1950s, candy really became the order of the day with Halloween. And... Even in New York City, the UNICEF became associated with Halloween. This is in 1950. Children would go trick-or-treating and ask for coins for the United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund, or UNICEF. I remember that. Well, you can still do it, in fact. UNICEF is still doing that. You can request a UNICEF box for donations during trick-or-treat or during Halloween season. I remember that. I think my school growing up collected money for UNICEF during yeah, Halloween. It, it was a big deal. Do you, what, what was your entire expression? Trick or treat? Did you say anything else? Just trick or treat. Trick or treat. Smell my What'd feet. Give me something good something to good eat. Something good to eat. If you don't, I don't care. I'll pull down your underwear. Right. So those were <laughs> extensions of the rhyme, but the smell my feet part seemed to show up in 1964. So, yeah, trick-or-treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat or something sweet to eat. And then there's also trick-or-treat, bags of sweets, ghosts are walking down the street. It's another one. Oh, I like that. I never said that. That's a mouthful to get through, get out when you go to a door, especially when you show up with, like, a pillowcase that you want filled with candy. Yeah. So just kind of... Another element to all this is sort of what's known as Halloween sadism. And that started taking root. And so I just want to read a 1970 quote from New York Times. Quote, the plump red apple that Junior gets from a kindly old woman down the block may have a razor blade hidden inside. Here's another one from 1975, Newsweek. If, quote, if this year's Halloween follows form, a few children will return home with something more than an upset tummy. In recent years, several children have died and hundreds have narrowly escaped injury from razor blades, sewing noodles, and shards of glass purposefully put into their goodies by adults. And in 1983, a couple years later, We have the magazine Van Buren, quote, It's Halloween again, and time to remind you that somebody's child will become violently ill or die after eating poison candy or an apple containing a razor blade. 
So, and this comes from research from Joel Best and Gerard Harucci, uh, the article Razorblade in the Apple, the social construction of urban legends. So here's the deal, is the whole notion of Halloween sadists, people that seek to harm children, really didn't take root until the 70s, and it wasn't really a thing. There was, there's only been something like 200 confirmed cases of candy tampering in the United States and in Canada since 1958. And Joel Best, one of the researchers and also University of Delaware sociology and criminal justice professor, he's been he's the guy to go to. He's been researching reports of Halloween candy tampering, and he could not find a single report of a child killed or seriously injured from a contaminated treat during trick-or-treating. But this is a contemporary legend. We do have... The first report of Halloween treats being tampered with in North America was in 1959. A California dentist by the name of William Shine, who you probably have heard of, distributed 450 laxative-laced candies to children, 30 of whom fell ill. There was a high-profile so case. gross. It is gross. There is... Talk about a Hershey's kiss. There is... <laughs> In 1964, a 47-year-old mother from New York, Greenlawn, New York, handed out bags of treats containing arsenic-laced ant traps, metal mesh scrubbing pads, and dog biscuits. And she ended up being committed to a state hospital for yeah. mental observation. I was going to say, she sounds ill. Yeah. And there was probably the most famous case that really gave this thing legs was the optician in Deer Park, Texas, who handed out pixie sticks to several children, including his two children, mm -hmm. his own two children in 1974, and his eight-year-old son, Timothy, died that night after consuming this candy, mm -hmm. which was later found that the boy had ingested cyanide, and in this case, it was that he set out to poison his own son, but had poison these other candies to throw people off the trail and he was convicted mm -hmm. and executed in 1984 but yeah these these stories yeah so and there's a lot of stories of kids tampering their own candy to get attention or a friend or family member who played a prank that went awry but now we pretty much live in a world where only individually wrapped candies mm -hmm. is allowed, but a lot of that is based on these urban legends that just don't really hold water and certainly are not widespread. It's also worth noting that a lot of these things tended to take root, this urban legend, around the same time as things like the Tylenol tampering case, yes. which also occurred in October. So by the Unabomber, in my opinion. Okay, well we could go. We can do an episode on that, but I have some strong end of evidence. Strong evidence? You've been on the case. I've been on the case. It's something I'm really fascinated with because it happened like near where I grew up. Okay. So I am pretty convinced. We can do an episode on it, but I'm pretty convinced it's the Unabomber. Okay. Well, if it is the Unabomber, then he's to blame for the candy, razor apple, and poison candy, trick-or-treat legend. Well, or, there was a dad, I think, in Wisconsin who gave his son a candy with a razor blade. And now I actually have a friend that grew up in Wisconsin, and after she would trick-or-treat, she would have to bring her candy to the police station, and they would metal detect all the candy before the kids went home. Yeah, that very much became a thing. I mean, my candy was inspected when we would get home and there there were fire departments, police departments that would yeah. x-ray the candy and pretty certain part of this was also just so parents could say, oh, let me inspect the candy and then they could steal all the good bits, keep <laughs> right. it for themselves. But yeah, so there are these cases, uh, th there are cases out there, but they're not as widespread 
I mean, even in 2001, there was a girl in Vancouver who had been deliberately poisoned. And, you know, that was sad. That was certainly sad, but it was later determined that it was... I think that the source was elsewhere. I don't want to quote that because mm. I might be getting that slightly wrong, but that, oh, it was determined later on that this little girl had died from an unknown medical condition and it, there was mm. not poison in her system. So, but you know, this became so widespread that there were even towns that banned trick or treating, like Burbank, yeah. Illinois, banned yeah. trick or treating. So, the. Other theory, you're going with Unabomber, but the other theory is maybe it's big candy to blame. Here's my nice. conspiracy theory. Well, if you don't want kids getting cookies, homemade cookies, if you don't want them receiving <gasps> receiving or loose candy and you want to sell more individually wrapped candy and make that the thing, the order of the day... What better way to do it oh than God, scare right. scare parents? So you're right. I think um, I think I just I blew your it's mind. Big candy. You did. It's big candy. You're right. Big candy, and so who knows? Who knows what's behind all this? But anyhow, that's that's sort of where I've ended up. I've gone down this rabbit hole of trick or treating and history of Halloween, and I think that tees you up for your story because I'm saying, you know, I've, I've gone through all this, this talk about maybe Halloween isn't anything to be afraid of, at least not candy-wise or trick-or-treating-wise, and then we get to you. Then you have to be afraid of people, not candy. Um, so I am doing the trick-or-treat murders. Peter and Betty Fabiano were married in 1955 while living in Kingston, New York where Peter, who was an ex-Marine, worked as a truck driver. Um, but shortly after getting married, they both were inspired to travel west, and they moved uh, themselves and their two children out to L.A. in 1956 and opened two beauty salons. Like, what an American dream. Right. They, they uh, started to have some marital problems once they settled into L.A., um, and so to give them some distance, Betty moved in with a woman who worked at the salon named Joan Rebel. Peter and Betty were starting to get back on good terms, and Betty moved back in. However, it was on one condition that Betty no longer talked to Joan as rumors started to float around that their relationship was, and I'm using air quotes, abnormal uh joan was no longer allowed to work at the salon and back then no one talked about being gay in fact it was actually illegal in california at the time to be gay um and since these rumors between the two of these women started to float around peter didn't want his wife to be labeled so he fired joan and made them cut off all contact well Joan had a very close friend named Goldine Pizer, who was 43 and just went through a really rocky divorce with her husband. Um, experts that have researched this case say it most likely because she was hiding the fact that she was gay in an unhappy marriage, um, which was so common at the time since it wasn't accepted. Um, and so Goldine and Joan started, uh, to go from friends to a relationship shortly after Betty moved out. Well, on September 21st, 1957, Goldine went to a local gun shop and bought a 38 caliber gun, telling the salesperson it was for home protection. Then on Halloween night, Joan went over to Goldine's house with khaki jackets, makeup, gloves, but they weren't going trick-or-treating. They instead were going to Peter Fabiano's house. Gotcha. Dressed in khaki clothing? Dressed in khakis. That's what, That was their, like, costume. What was the costume? It didn't say. It just said they had, like, khakis and ski masks. Okay. We're going to dress as killers. And then yeah, khaki. Wearing khaki, I don't know. Yeah, feels like a weird costume. 
Um, they got to the house around 9 p.m. while the Fabianos were passing out candy to their local trick-or-treaters. And the two of them just sat outside in their car until around 11 p.m. when they saw the lights go out in the house and everything get locked up. Peter, Betty, and their teenage daughter all went to bed. Um, and then Joan turned to Goldine and said, all right, go do it. And Goldine walked out and rang the doorbell to the Fabiano home. Peter's the one to answer, opening the door to this like khakied up trick or treater. And worst said, costume ever. Worst costume ever. Like so anticlimactic. Um, and he says, it's a little late for this, isn't it? And Goldine says, no. And shoots Peter. She then runs back to the car and her and Joan speed off and burn the khakis that they were wearing <laughs> to hide any gunshot residue evidence, which I don't know. They knew that that's what they were doing, but that is what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what's so harsh is that then the next day the women wake up and Joan tells Goldeen forget you ever knew me leaves her in the possession of the revolver and Joan just runs away. Right. So heartless. That's so harsh. Um, so Goldine's like, what do I do? I now have this gun. So she rents a locker at a downtown department store and abandons the gun in the locker. Feels very poorly thought out, but if I were Goldine, I would have just tossed it in a body of water. Well, now we know <laughs> where to look. If, <laughs> if you're are, are ever suspected of, uh, of a crime, of a murder. Yeah, go ahead and rake the Hudson. I bet you're going to find a million guns dropped in there. Uh, so meanwhile, Betty finds her husband on the ground, and her daughter actually runs next door to their neighbor, who is a member of the police department, and he's able to, like, sound the alarms and get the police over and take Peter to the hospital instantly, but he doesn't make it. Betty tells the police that night that she heard two voices. One was a man's, her husband, I'm guessing, and then the other one she said sounded odd, like a man impersonating a woman which could have been, like, Goldine trying to somehow, like, disguise her voice into sounding something weird. Um, At first, the police think it's a mob hit, because after all, it's the 50s, and his last name is Fabiano. So, of course he's related to the mafia. Some assumptions here. Yeah, people in the 50s were kind of racist. But kind of racist, I mean, like, kind of a lot of racist. Um... But Betty comes forward and says that she she suspects her former friend, Joan Rebel, who police investigate but drop due to lack of evidence. Because, again, it's the 50s and a woman couldn't possibly commit a crime like this. Um, So then auditing the lockers in the department store. I can just imagine being the employee that opens it up, finds the gun, and then says to the manager, do you think we should alert the police? Yes. They alert the police. The police find that the registered locker was to Goldine Pizer, and she's arrested and confesses. And so when she confesses talking about Joan, they find Joan, they hunt her down. Um, and Goldine says Joan like completely forced her into doing it. Um, that she filled Goldine's head with these ideas that uh, Peter Fabiano was a drug dealer and that he was abusing his wife. Um, and Joan didn't say a single thing. She didn't, like, say one single word while being investigated. Um, three different psychiatrists interviewed both women. And at one point, Goldine says to one of them that she's always been impressionable and always tested always trusting. So my heart kind of breaks for Goldine. Like she was just completely taken advantage of. I mean, she's not innocent. She shot a man and she could have said no, but I don't know. She was totally being coerced by Joan. Why are you smiling at me? I'm smiling because clearly she was the one that bought the gun and pulled the trigger. So I don't, I, 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 
certainly appreciate that sometimes people are manipulated, but my manipulations have not typically led to me killing people. So I don't think that she necessarily gets a pass for that. She doesn't get a pass. I agree. But Joan was definitely like the mastermind in this situation. Um, And Joan declines to testify and like just mums the word about the whole thing. And one of the psychiatrists that talked to her said um, that Joan was still really in love with Betty and wanted to get Peter out of the way so the two of them could be together. Both women were charged with first-degree murder, um, which was bumped to down to second-degree murder when they agreed to a plea deal. Um, it gave them both five years to life in prison. Um, both were released, but like their lives didn't have much record after the fact, except we know that Goldine passed away at 83 years old in 1998. Betty never remarried and passed away at age 81 in 1999 in Palm Desert. And I wouldn't be surprised if Joan changed her name after she got out of prison and went on to do other shady things because she was definitely the one in charge. Um, I got most of my information from Deranged LA Crimes, which is a really great website. And Vintage Woman Magazine, which is also a cute blog. Well, has there ever been a, that? been a movie made of this? It seems like... No, but doesn't it seem like a movie should be made of this? It does seem movie-ready, yeah. but Yeah. Oh, fascinating. I know. Well... So, love is dangerous. Forbidden love. Yeah. Well, back then, in the 50s, I guess, but, you know. For sure. But hey, whether it's forbidden or not, don't be going and killing people just because you're trying to, or for any reason, let's just don't be killing. Yeah, just don't, let's not kill people. Yeah. But, so here's a follow-up question. So who's still alive in this story? Because they had a son, right? The daughter. They had a daughter. They had a daughter. Who's still alive. Okay. And they actually, you're right. They had a son, but the son wasn't there on that night. The son was at college. So is there any, was there any accusations that, so the the victim, Peter Fabiano, was he just an upstanding Mm -hmm. citizen in the, in the community or? Yeah, he just ran the two salons. They did because they thought there may be mob ties. They like really dug into him. But from what it seemed, he had a pretty clean record he had been an ex-marine and didn't have any like dangerous stuff they think that at least what i wonder is if betty like maybe with joan thought about getting rid of her husband but but i don't know we won't accuse that because no we don't know that's what like some people think right interesting it's a web, yeah. a web of mystery, a spider web Definitely. of mystery on Halloween, and certainly a story filled with more dirty tricks than sweet treats. Yep. So, well, before we wrap things up, what are you into on the paranormal pop culture angle this week? Well, as we get closer to Halloween, I'm, of course, watching all the scary movies that I can get my hands on. And a gem I found on Hulu is from 2006, When a Stranger Calls. It's like a remake of the classic. Right. And it's so 2006. It's like a good scare. Um, but the fashion, like the ultra low-rise jeans, crop jackets, overly straight hair, flip phones... It's just like classic 2006 plus great scary stuff. I highly recommend. Yeah. It's, well, yeah, the fashion is always a good tip off too. Oh, it's so good. Well, I'm going to be talking about something I'm doing in Key West, but I think it's something that a lot of people are probably familiar with. There's the story of Robert the Doll. And Mm. I've written about Robert and he is the basically 
child-sized doll that was given to Eugene Robert Otto, who was an artist in the Keys, in Key West. And over time, Eugene would accuse uh, Robert of mischief anytime anytime Eugene was getting out of hand and someone tried to correct him, he would blame it on Robert the doll. Robert did it. And over time, as he grew and became a man, Gene would still have Robert the doll in a location called the Artist House. And Mm -hmm. during this time, people would walk by the Artist House and see Robert the doll perched up in the window. And some people even claim that they saw him moving and... Gene ended up passing away. However, Robert the Doll lives on, still exists. Gene Otto died in 1974, but Robert the Doll has become a curiosity in Key West and currently resides at the East Martello Fort Museum, where the stuff of lore that if people, that Robert is said to curse people, or if you go take his photo without asking permission, bad things will befall you and people some people believe this so much that they will write letters asking for forgiveness from robert the doll after they've left the museum and i guess the interesting tidbit here is that there is during halloween the robert the doll experience and it's an interactive, very cool thing to do if you are indeed in Key West. And the final note I will say about it is that I happen to be living right now, during my time in Key West, right across from Robert <gasps> the Doll's original residence. And wow! so it's a nice bit of serendipity. So that's so cool. That's uh, that's sort of my paranormal pop culture. There's been some movies made uh, about Robert the doll, but nothing really Hollywood level. And he doesn't have the same notoriety that Annabelle has gained in the last few years. Mm -hmm. But who knows? Robert might just be waiting for his moment. So Robert the doll, I will say, if you look the look up images of Robert the doll online, he, to me, always looks like he's dressed in a sailor's outfit, which was actually clothes of Eugene Otto. And I think that he looks a little bit like a monkey. He's, he's clearly... Yeah, he does. He's clearly got this worn down uh, stuffing and uh, appearance, but he looks a little bit like a monkey to me. But I get that. So, anyhow, but... He's kind of a creepy little guy, especially since he is sort of the yeah. size of a of a child. So, anyhow, Robert the Doll is sort of my paranormal pop culture nod of the week. That's great. I know Spooked did a good telling of it if people are... I think I actually talked about it on the pod before, that that was one of my paranormal pop cultures. Oh, really? I don't remember that. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, Robert the Doll is getting yeah. a double... Double dose. Double feature. Yeah. Well, yours is way cooler because you're right by it. Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's a 116-year-old straw doll that is supposedly haunted by evil spirits. It's pretty interesting. So, Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's, before we head out, just a fine, I've already said look before we head out, but really right now before we head out, just want to, you know, I, I think it's worth kind of remembering that it is halloween season so trick or treat keep your balls neat according to the fine people (laughs) at manscaped i love it you know halloween's right around the corner you don't want to spook someone off with a scary bush down there situation yeah so scary situation yeah so remember manscaped the Right tools for the job, the grooming tools, and if you head to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA, you can get 20% off and receive free shipping. I think it's something that even the, the, the people out there that are not men purchasing it for themselves, women, or maybe 
men that have a partner that is getting mm-hmm. a little out of control might even be helpful as a gift. Yeah, it's a great gift. I'm wearing the t-shirt right now. You are. I really liked being in an elevator with the woman who gives tours to people in the building and two people were on a tour while I was wearing a t-shirt that said, your balls will thank you. Yeah. You should have also told them, (laughs) by the way, if anyone has just really out of control growth down there, Nightmarica is a podcast and with this code get 20% off. Did you tell the people that were touring your building? I didn't. It was two women. So, but I guess but, they, have, they could have partners. I know. Yeah. I, I let us down. You missed so the opportunity. Sorry. I let us down. I'm very disappointed. So, uh, and then <laughs> you can let them know about the Manscaped Nike America code and then follow it up with nuts, nuts, we want nuts. <laughs> nuts, nuts, <laughs> we want groomed nuts. Groomed nuts. 